umgoblue.com. By fans, for fans, since 1999. Hello, welcome to this edition of the umgoblue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Clint Derringer. And today we have the unhappy job to talk about the Rocky Lombardi Horror Show with the Michigan State Spartans prevailing by a score of 27 to 24 over our beloved Wolverines and a rivalry game at a nearly empty Michigan Stadium. Well, Clint, uh, what did the SP Plus predict for this game and and, uh, how did it compare to how it played out? Uh, SP Plus said that uh, Michigan was favored by about 19 points, um, you know, just under three full touchdowns. I think the Vegas line was like 24 and a half, you know, and, and, and I predicted an even bigger spread. So um, of those systems and, and, and different opinions, the SP Plus did the best, but they also missed by, you know, that system missed by 22 points uh, in terms of absolute error. The only uh, kind of saving grace, at least in this game, again, is that SP Plus is, is typically used to determine where the best opportunities to actually bet on a game uh, as opposed to the spread. So because SP plus would have predicted uh, Michigan state to be closer than what the spread was saying, if you were using that system, you would have bet on Michigan state to cover the spread and obviously would have, uh, would have won that bet. So a little bit of a silver lining for the SP plus system, but uh, in the grand scheme of things, that doesn't, uh, it doesn't do anything to make anybody feel any better around here. Clint, this is the perfect example of why I don't bet money, right? And uh, I realized from a very young age, often when I was really sure of something is when I was going to lose a whole ton of money. So this is one of those games that, um, you know, I would have I would have uh, bet Michigan was going to score in the 40 or 50 points. And I questioned whether Michigan State was, was going to break out of the single digits. But, you know, it's the old cliche. This is why they play the game. And, again, uh, the, the fever that a rivalry brings, the high-intensity conflict. So, again, I don't know very many people on either side of the rivalry who are predicting an outright Michigan State victory. And But that's what we have to discuss here. So let's get into the, the nitty-gritty of what we saw Um, One thing that jumped out to me statistically is how perfectly even the overall yardage was. Michigan State gained 449 yards versus Michigan's 452. That's amazing how close that was. But the big stat that jumped out for me is really we had a perfect game on both sides of the ball with no interceptions and no fumbles. And and I think that would have been the thing that if that bet had been put on the table, I would have put a ton of money on uh, there being, you know, definitely at least one turnover. And uh, to have none is the thing that, that really surprised me. Um, what were your thoughts uh, upon uh, reviewing the tape? Yeah, I first I'd like to echo what you said. I mean, a big part of why I – um, I thought that it would be such a wide margin is because uh, Michigan State had shown such a propensity to turn the ball over and couldn't block anybody. I mean, Rutgers had 12 tackles for loss against that team in the first week. 
and Michigan's defensive line looked unblockable in the first week. So you just thought that there was going to be such a disruption uh, in the backfield that you were going to create some problems, at least, you know, similar to what we saw against Minnesota. So the, the fact that there were no turnovers at all was definitely a, a surprise. I, I agree with you for sure. The other, for, for me, when I kind of reviewed it again, I, I'm really surprised at missed blocking assignments or, or at least poorly blocked run plays. You know, there's a, there's a lot of criticism to go around, I think, um, starting at the top, you know, starting with the, the preparation through the week from, from Harbaugh and his staff. Um, but in terms of actual execution, you know, there were the Michigan State defensive line won in the trenches more often than the Michigan offensive line. And again, that's uh, that's a huge reversal from what I would have expected. It's also something that um, I would have thought would have reversed in the middle of the game. You know, OK, you, you got kind of punched in the mouth and stunned early in the game. Um that that happens, you know, and uh, but but it seemed like they never shook that off and, and uh, never kind of answered the bell and just kind of kept getting uh, kept getting pummeled in the trenches on both sides of the ball. So that was uh, that was not, you know, not fun to watch and, and certainly not fun to rewatch, um, you know, but you, you, you have to tip your cap to the the positives that that they were able to do at Michigan State in a turnaround from losing by two scores to to Rutgers at home and then coming back and and beating Michigan in Ann Arbor you've got to at least respect the ability for them to turn around and now uh, we will see if if this particular team for Michigan can can turn it around after a shocking really stunning um, underperformance you know, I don't know. I don't know how else to really call it, other than that's they just did not play well um, in any facet. So one of the things that depressed me in watching the game, other than the overall result, Clint, we both like football, and we can, from a uh, academic standpoint, admire what Michigan State was able to plan and implement. But one of the real disappointing things for me in watching this game was the lack of fire from the Michigan players. And that disappoints me, okay? I mean, again, because, you know, this is football. There was a long stretch here where we thought there were not going to be any games. And here, the season gets a reboot. It's the first home game. And and I understand that there wasn't a crowd there, but their family was there. This is a rivalry game, and I was I was genuinely shocked at, at the rewatch because, you know, when I'm watching the game in real time, I watch the play, and then my head is down, and I'm typing, and I'm looking up stats, and I'm taking notes. What I was surprised in the rewatch was how many times Michigan would have a fairly good play, and the players would kind of just stand around. There wasn't a lot of, of fire. There wasn't a lot of congratulations. There wasn't a lot of... Um, teammates uh celebrating with each other so you know you see that and you go i I just i was i was disappointed right um 
another thing statistically that jumped out to me was, you know, again, when you when you look at the quarterbacks, right, Rocky Lombardi had three touchdowns and zero interceptions. And, you know, 17 for 32, 323 yards. Milton was 32 for 51, threw a lot of passes, had a lot of completions, but, you know, couldn't uh, seal the deal with, with touchdown plays. We really didn't see, um, you know, the attacking downfield and, and success. So, you know, there, there are overall things I was disappointed. Now, again, when we're talking about it academically, um, the thing that struck me was I saw a Michigan game plan that I think was expecting a blowout. And I think that they were, you know, they had a, a checklist of, hey, we want to get these players in the game. We want to try these things. And um, what I saw from the Michigan State side was, and again, you kind of, you know, we had expectations going in, right? You thought that, I thought that the Michigan defensive line was going to be fairly active and successful. I thought that the Michigan offensive line was, was going to be successful in blocking. What I saw from the Michigan State side was, hey, we're going to just send our receivers down, do a couple double, a couple double moves, and we're just going to try to run by uh, you know, the Michigan secondary that coming into the season was expected to be you know, a, a, um, something that, that a work in progress, right? And they started having success, and they kept going with it. And you kind of have this vicious cycle, and, and you and I have seen this with, with teams, right, where they start to get a little tentative. They start having some ticky-tack penalties called. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, it's, it's easy for us to complain about the officiating because we lost, but genu- genuinely I thought the officiating was pretty substandard. Um, you know, and again, when you're talking about penalties, Michigan was penalized 10 times for 86 yards versus five times for Michigan State. But you can kind of see this vicious cycle happening where, um, you know, Michigan State started attacking downfield. The Michigan secondary started getting burned, started getting some penalty calls. They started being a little tentative. And it just started to – you could feel the momentum going in a bad way and and, and kind of slowly see it uh, un, unwounding, you know, the, the Michigan plan. And, and again, you know, when you see the – hey, we're going to have Hassan Haskins throw a pass when we're, you know, in the red zone. You know, that had all kinds of memories of me, of Al Borges trying to be too cute, right? You don't need that. And, again, I just, looking back, I, I think that, you know, they had it in their game plan that they wanted to run that play at some point. And that's great if you're two or three touchdowns up. But, you know, when you need to score and you need to, you know, put things in order. I, I, I didn't think it was needed at that time. Um, what did you see on the rewatch that, that stood out for you? A couple, couple things um, in response to, to what you said. Number one, I think the most important period of time or sequence in the entire game was probably the goal line situation where um, they ran the wildcat with Haskins, and then they ran it again for the jump pass. Um, there's a couple things there that that I disagreed with in, in real time, but um, have kind of deferred in the past, you know, because Haskins has been pretty successful with that wildcat look. 
Uh, he was successful last week with it also. So, I mean, if it's if it's not broke, you're not going to fix it going into this week. It makes sense that they would try to add something, right? Because it's, uh, it's a pretty obvious tell that you're going to run to the strength of your line when Haskins is taking the direct snap. So they wanted to put one kind of change up in there with the jump pass that it, that makes logical sense, even if you disagree with how you would have done it. To me, your your quarterback is six foot five and and two forty, and is equally capable or or almost capable of running that that power run, uh, you know, direct quarterback run. Uh, and power and within the five yard line, he's just as capable. You know, I, I think maybe maybe there's a slight edge to a running back there and finishing at the goal line, but not much drop off if you've got Joe Milton actually doing it. And then think of the difference in execution of the play for the little pop pass where he tried to get over top of that linebacker and uh, and hit the tight end who was open. The play was there, you know, but would you rather have Joe Milton trying to get that over the top of that linebacker or, or Hassan Haskins. So that was a big, it was a big deal. There was also a lot of confusion um, between first and second down where they had to take a timeout. So it was clear that they were kind of reminding everybody what their, you know, uh, what their roles and responsibilities were. I'm sure that Michigan state during that timeout had the opportunity to say, okay, clearly something strange is coming, you know, kind of be on alert and, and, uh, that linebacker for Michigan State, um, you know, had a great game and, and made a huge play there and almost intercepted that ball. So that was a huge sequence. And then after not getting it on third down, you kicked the 20 yard field goal, which is very frustrating to me. Um, just because you, you left four points there potentially on the field um, in a game that you lost by three. There's no guarantee that you're going to going to convert there. But, um, again, if you have a philosophy of we're going to go for this on fourth down, if you know that on first down, that you've got four plays to get, you know, on a goal to go situation, then it kind of frees up your, your play calling. And you didn't have to throw that little pop pass on third down. You could have said, you know what, let's just pound it twice and, and score the touchdown here. So that part of it um, is something that bothers me. And then the last piece of it that bothers me is is when you go for it on fourth down, one of the reasons that the analytics nerds and a bunch of the people that I like to follow on Twitter go crazy when you when you punt from the positive side of the field or kick a short field goal is because when you when you turn the ball over there, you know, you're 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 likely to trust your defense. And when you get the ball back, still be in a highly likely spot to score. Um, the, the way that I simplify the way that I think about it, right. Is a great punt that you down at the five yard line is like a celebration play, right? You, you, you punted it and then the guy dropped it right in the corner and it went out of bounds or stopped dead at the five. Yeah. Great job. Great punt. Okay. Now let's get our defense there. So if that's the worst case scenario of going for it on fourth down, down at the five yard line is it's equal to those great punts, you know, that you're trying to do back there at the 50, um, then, then you should go for it. You should go for it. Now, the, the reason I bring it up in this section is, is being kind of a microcosm of that entire game is Michigan did pin 
Michigan State down there twice. They started at the eight on one drive, and they started at the two on one drive. And you know what happened? Michigan State scored on both of those drives, which is just, you know, ridiculous. I, I, I cannot believe that Michigan was unable to get stops when they needed them, when they had Michigan State pinned back. And that whole sequence showed lack of organization, um, a little bit of, uh, I think, personnel mismanagement with, uh, with, with how you were going to run that little pop pass if you wanted to do it. Um, I think there was a – I wish they would have had a philosophy of, of knowing that they were going to go for the touchdown on fourth down so that they didn't have to try to do a cute play on third down, you know. They didn't need to run the power. They didn't need to actually run the play before doing the pop pass. They could have tried it on second down and then brought Milton down, back in on third and fourth and run it twice. So, to me, the whole thing was was bungled. Um, you know, it happens. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty for sure. You know, I, I, I don't want to imply that this is these are easy things to to uh, make decisions on the fly. But to me, in, in real time, those things were frustrating. And you know what? The, it's it, it does kind of summarize the whole game. And even if they had uh, gone for it and not gotten it there, who knows what Michigan State would have done with a 95-yard field, the way that we couldn't defend the, the pass yesterday. So to talk for a minute about the analytic geeks, right? So I'm very much in that camp. I'm in the camp of, you know, there is a school of thought that says when you're first in goal, your mode should be we're going for it on fourth down. And you set that mentality up with your team that you know you have four shots. Now, obviously, if you have some crazy penalty call that makes it, you know, um, first in goal and 20 or second in goal and 20, then that's a different situation. But when you're within the 10, okay, there is a school of thought that says you should go for it four times because, okay, if you're going to kick a field goal, you would you trade the three points for allowing your opponent to have a clean reset to start their offense, right? So, like you said, if you go for it on fourth down and you make them drive 95 yards or 98 yards, and let's throw out for a second how poor the Michigan defense um, defended that yesterday because that is that is an outlier as well. And, and not, to de- not to give them an excuse, but let's just say, you know, in a perfect world, right, teams are not going to drive 95 or 98 yards usually, right? So, basically, you trade the three points for holding your opponent – and saying, here, you're going to have to start off with a really long field and, and, and then see what happens, right? So I agree with you. I think that, you know, they should have uh, went in with the mentality that, you know, we're at home. Um, we, we believe we have superior personnel. We believe we have, you know, we've had years to institute our plan. We're going up against a new regime. Um, and, and what better way to set the tone than to force the ball in there, right? And I, and I agree with you. I don't like the, the sequence of play calls there. Um, you, know, you touched on how poor the Michigan defense played. And, again, we can talk about the penalties and we can talk about the tick-tock, you know, the, the ticky-tack calls, but the reality is, is that the defense couldn't get a stop. And, and look at even at the end of the game, even, okay, you want to talk about mismanaged drives in the clock, right? The last drive that Michigan finally scored to pull within, you know, three points eventually, you know, total clock mismanagement, total uh, look like disorganization. And 
luckily, um, by 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 happen chance, they had a chance. You know, um, by that by the referees calling an equipment timeout. Right, they got one of their timeouts back, which gave them a slight glimmer of hope. If the defense could have stopped Michigan State, and they couldn't, you had a sequence where, again, they got too cute on the special teams on the onside kick. Um, you know, uh, wanting to have the option to go either way. And, and again, the ball didn't even go the full 10 yards. And then the defense couldn't prevent Michigan State from getting a first down. So we had multiple failures, not only on the field from, from the players, but from the coaches, and really a complete failure in, in all facets of the game. You know, Michigan appeared to be the team that – was in the first year of a, of a massive coaching and philosophical change. Michigan State came in and, again, um, you know, not happy with the refereeing, but you have to give credit. There were some really amazing performances on the Michigan State side of the ball. I hate to say that. Again, you had, you had Ricky White, eight catches for 196 yards, you know, averaging 24.5 yards a catch. I mean, come on. Or, or I'm sorry, averaging 25. Yeah, averaging 24.5 yards a catch. Come on. That's that's an amazing performance. We had no answer for that. And we had nothing on the other side of the ball that even touched that kind of performance. And it's yeah. disappointing to see that. And, and, and that's a true freshman. You know, the the other reason that the it felt like the momentum had swung in this rivalry and that the pendulum was coming back into Michigan's direction was a big part of the, the recruiting narrative. And, and you know what? Um, you know, Michigan state has a true freshman go out and, and, and a receiver put 200 yards on the board. So um, somebody that there's echoes there of a conversation we've had, uh, you know, many times this offseason, it's going to continue through this season until we find, you know, who the playmakers are for Michigan. You know, and, and when I say playmakers, it, it's got to be though the the so-called clutch gene, right? The the in the biggest moments, who's going to make the the biggest plays that that end up mattering? I mean, last week against Minnesota, there were a lot of big plays that were great, but it wasn't in the uh, in the most critical of moments under under high pressure situations and what in, in baseball you hear sometimes high leverage situations right this is the most critical time you need somebody to step up and i think i think that at some point um joe milton has a has an opportunity to become a player like that um but he, he didn't have it yesterday and that's it was it was clear that that rocky lombardi and ricky white had the ability to step up and make a play in those high leverage situations and, and Michigan did not. And that was, um, you know, I would say that the, the responsibility and accountability for that is, is spread pretty evenly, you know, from the top with the coaching staff all the way down through, you know, from whistle to whistle on the plays. Now I did, I did want to, kind of compare the the narrative that I heard and saw during the game yesterday and ask you kind of what you thought about uh, Michigan's ability to, to be successful early on 
uh, and I mean on early downs, first down. What do you think yesterday, Michigan's success rate, uh, the efficiency metric that we use, Michigan's success rate was 42% overall for the whole game, um, which is pretty close to their average for all of last year. So it's not an awful efficiency rate, but it's not the 59% we saw against Minnesota. How, what was their success rate on first down? Let's, let's start with that. What do you think their success rate was? Okay, so you're asking me? Yeah. Um, I'm going to guess it was in the 30% range. 45%. 45%. They got at least half the yards they needed on first down. Right? Better than they did for the whole game. How about, how about third down? Oh, man. Well, it has to be pretty bad then, right? It has to be 20%. 41% on third down, right? It's that's it's kind of how the narrative kind of affects the way that you're watching and thinking of what's going to happen. They actually had the success that they needed, but when it mattered the most, when it mattered the most, the singular plays that we're going to remember, they were not successful. They were not successful. And another strange thing, there were zero runs on third down for Michigan yesterday. They, that that did get a little bit of play on the on the Fox broadcast that uh, they were they were constantly in third and long and they even when they were in third and medium you know four or five they they ended up passing. Um, one caveat to that, of course, is uh, if they called a pass play and the quarterback scrambled, it goes into the stat book as a rush. Right, those are rushing yards, of course. But I will always want to check to see what did the offensive coordinator call. What was the called play, a pass or a run? So that's uh, those were interesting, at least, that I thought. Um, in terms of yards per play, right, I think this kind of explains a little bit more of what was going on. On first down, Michigan averaged 5.6 yards per play on run plays. First down run plays, 5.6 yards per play. Seems pretty crazy to me because I remember Charbonnet and those guys getting stuffed on the inside kind of repeatedly. But they had success testing the edge defenders against Michigan State. There was the end around to A.J. Henning, right? There was um, some pin and pull stuff that was a little bit successful. And then there was some read option stuff with Joe Milton that tested the edge that they were successful with. So to average 5.6 yards per run play on first down and 4.8 yards per run play for the whole game, it, it's not that there wasn't the ability to be successful it was there but we did not execute in the high leverage situations and that's on the players and and somewhat on the coaches for preparation and it certainly calls into question the the game planning and how you are going to attack that michigan state defense so what i'm hearing you say is that basically the coaches put the players, for the most part, in positions to be successful, but at critical times there were breakdowns. Is that a fair way to, to um, summarize kind of what the statistics are set telling us? Yeah, because on average you see that you were able to be successful, then clearly there were opportunities there. But the ones that get burned into your memory are the ones in those high leverage situations, and, and that's for good reason. Those are the critical ones. And when, when those moments came, there were breakdowns, whether it was uh, a poor play call, the poor sequencing that we talked about down in the goal line, or or just not making a block, right? Not not catching a ball, right? Not 
not not having the same kind of accuracy on some of the throws from Joe Milton. It's just uh, it's pretty evenly spread out in my eyes functionally. But to say that they're totally inept and, and unable to, to be successful is not true. Um, they just have to clean it up um, because Michigan State is a solid defense and you've got uh, another solid defense coming up against Indiana and then a really good defense in Wisconsin um, if, if that game gets played. So there are some things here that um, I, I wouldn't call them positives or silver linings, but I would call them opportunities. So um, the, the staff and the players need to go refine the way that they, they approach um, the opportunities to be successful here because they're there. There are plays to be made, um, and they were there yesterday. Uh, but everybody's got to do better in order for Michigan to win um, the Big Ten games that are coming up. That's with, without a doubt. One thing that struck me watching the game toward the end, right, when when things were going poorly and it, and it didn't appear that we were going to get we were going to get a good result, as I was thinking about what we thought this team was going to be before last week, right? And we came in, we said, well, there are going to be questions on the offensive side of the ball when you're bringing in a new quarterback. There are questions in the secondary on the defensive side of the ball. And we thought Minnesota was a, a pretty solid program and a good team. And Michigan came out and just, you know, went gangbusters on them, right? And I think... You know, and again, you know, hindsight is great. If that Minnesota game had been tougher, right, and if Michigan State had had a few less turnovers against Rutgers, this wouldn't have been as surprising as it was. You know, I'll tell you, I wasn't shocked at the first half. You know, I was sitting here telling myself, well, okay, this is what you get in a rivalry game. You're getting their absolute best, and Michigan is going to wear them down, and you know, dial up some adjustments at halftime and, and they're going to pull away and we'll be slightly disappointed at that. It wasn't the blowout we were hoping for. Uh, but I think what, what disappoints me is that we really didn't see, I mean, it, you know, if you look at the box score, right, you know, the quarter by quarter, it was perfectly even except Michigan only scored three points in the second quarter to Michigan state seven. Right. So, to see the game be as evenly fought as it was, you know, really, again, if you thought about it two or three weeks ago, and if you if you didn't overplay in your mind how poorly Michigan State played against Rutgers and how great Michigan looked, this wasn't that surprising for a half. I was really disappointed that Michigan wasn't able to come out, um, you know, uh, after halftime and dial up some adjustments. You know, again... I've gone on and on about how the referees were calling the game. Okay, that's the game, right? You understand, okay, what do we need to do to be successful? And, you know, and as you said, listen, if they're successful attacking the edges, well, attack the edges more. And I, I really was disappointed that, um, you know, and I'd even make a case that, you know, this is one of those games where the scoreboard wasn't as close as the game felt. And, you know, I'll go on and on about the scoreboard's the only thing that matters. And yet, watching this game, it really felt like Michigan State owned it. That's That was the feeling I had, um, you know, as Michigan was coming down to make that late, that last score to, to pull within three. It, it really, 
it, it didn't feel like the game was as close as the scoreboard. Uh, even after rewatching it, it was it was really frustrating for me. Yep, yep. So let's let's play the the, the, the round two of our, our little Michigan State you know week two game here. Let's look at the defensive you know efficiency or Michigan State's offensive success rate kind of stuff. Overall, for the whole game, as I posted and put in in our recap there, Michigan State was only 38% success rate compared to Michigan's 42%. Right, and efficiency for the SP Plus system, efficiency I think is one of the one of the higher. It's the highest rated of the five factors. You know, if you're marching, then that's a, a good indicator that you're playing well. So again, that's kind of counter to the narrative and the way that it felt. And, and I agree with everything that you just said, that it really felt like it was Michigan state had dominated. And I think part of that is, you know, the, the, just the, the gap between expectations and reality as we are watching, but yeah, overall their success rate was 38%. But if we, if we drill down a little bit into some of the more specific numbers, right, they were 43% successful on first down, right. Which is very similar to what Michigan was only a couple, couple points less than what Michigan was third down 43% also. Okay, then that's uh, pretty similar to what Michigan was. Again, it's an evenly matched statistical game for sure. But the passing numbers on third down, this is the one that I'm going to ask you. What do you think Michigan State's passing success rate on third down was? 35%. 63%. That's your narrative right there. That's why it felt like domination. Every single time there was a key play, Third down, opportunity to stop a drive. 63% of the time, Rocky Lombardi and the receivers made a play, and the Michigan defensive line, linebackers and defensive backs, did not. The other statistical standout in this game is on first down in explosiveness. Yards per play on first down, nine for Michigan State. Nine yards per play on first down. 13.6 13.6 when they passed on first down. And then when I, the, one of the more kind of complex metrics that we use is the ISO points per play. That kind of estimates the difference, right? How, how much value does a play have? Like a big 40 yard game has a lot of value. You're like th- more, much more likely to score a touchdown when you get those big plays, right? Their ISO PPP on first down pass plays 2.21. Those bombs, those five long passes, each one of those averaged in, in relation to the rest of their first down pass plays. It was like putting up two points on the board, right? Those bombs were, were almost kind of like putting a safety on the board in, in terms of statistics and metrics. So, again, it's the difference in, in the way that I see it and the way that I kind of view it through the numbers that I, you know, have kind of put center to how I analyze the games. It was the the ability to make plays in those high leverage situations and not only right scraping by, but making big plays, big plays in high leverage situations. That's the difference. That's the difference because Michigan State did dominate that facet of the game and it was enough to go from a 24 point underdog to a, a three point winner, you know, and that's, that's how it, that's why it was like that's why it was like nails on a chalkboard to me and I was just waiting for it to change and it didn't it was the same song for 60 minutes and it, it hurt to watch 
Well, and even just looking at the regular statistics, right, the, the flat statistics, shall we say, you know, Ricky White, longest play, 50-yard reception. Jalen Naylor's longest play, 53 yards. Jordan Simmons, longest rush, 28, right? Michigan had no answer for that, okay? Longest reception on the Michigan side, Roman Wilson, 26 yards. Longest rush, Hassan Haskins, 19 yards. So it, it, it jumps out even from the flat statistics, and it's even more uh, explosive when you look at the deeper analytics. And, and again, you look, again, I, I, keep, I keep coming back. You know, if I had to, um, you know, draw a difference here, it's really Rocky Lombardi, you know, really uh, hats off, you know, not happy to see it. Wish Michigan had been able to pull it out. But um, having, you know, I watched some tape on him last week and I watched some tape on him last year. At, from last year, I didn't expect anything like this. I mean, he, um, you know, to kind of go back to, uh, you know, uh, horror shows from Michigan past, right? This kind of reminded me of, uh, you know, how the Rich Rod defenses could make average quarterbacks look like Heisman winners occasionally. And that's, that's the flashback I had watching this. Is Listen, I, you know, the best thing for Michigan is for Michigan State to go on a tear here and to show that they're for real, and Rocky Lombardi to have a great season. And, you know, hopefully Michigan can go on a run here and, and uh, Michigan State trip gets tripped up a few more times and Michigan can pull ahead, right, in the standings. But really what we need is for Michigan State to continue being good. We, we kind of have a good indication here that Minnesota is not that good. Um, but, you know, if Michigan State blows the next six games, then – this one sticks out even worse. And, you know, and that's the thing that I struggle with here, Clint, is that, you know, there are people all over the Internet, um, Michigan fans and non-Michigan fans, calling for Jim Harbaugh's head right now, right? And it's really easy to get depressed after a game like this. But really, we're, we're just looking at the slope right now, right? The slope could change. Things could change. This team could go on a tear. We don't know. That's why they play the games. And, you know, that's why they played this game. If you were looking at the SB Plus or you were looking at the betting line, you know, why even play this game? But, again, you have the rivalry. You never know what's going to happen. The statistics, you know, the flat statistics were almost dead even, which which was a surprise. And, again, you watch the game and, you know, we're unfortunately this isn't the entertainment that we would have liked, but I know that – uh People across the college football world, and especially Michigan State fans, are were very entertained yesterday. But again, there are still a lot of games to be played. Not as many as a regular season, but uh, again, I, I'm I'm reluctant to uh, to pull the plug on the program at this point. I'm definitely definitely down. I feel better after talking about the uh, statistics as as you analyze them and. You know, what do you think this team needs to do to to turn the corner and, and you know, get moving in a positive direction moving forward? For me, the biggest thing is I think they need to be lighter on their feet, the coaching staff, I mean. They need to be lighter on their feet in terms of being able to adapt during a game. The only time I recall a mid-game adjustment that, that ended up making a big difference was actually avoiding disaster against Army last year where they kept fumbling the ball and 
they were getting tackled right at the line of scrimmage in the run game. And they eventually figured out that they could get about three and a half, four yards a pop with Charbonnet just off tackle on a couple of their different zone looks. And then they just hammered it into the ground. And Harbaugh was not happy with how they had to kind of keep doing that to win the game, especially with the true freshman dinged up running back. But it, it was a, a visible, noticeable adjustment that the offense made based on the conditions that were happening in front of their eyes. Um, yesterday, the, the corners were clearly having trouble in coverage. Again, I think the ticky-tack calls got into their head. And then once they had to be more hands off, they couldn't they couldn't cover. Right. It was it was like they couldn't uh, execute their techniques because they 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 felt like they couldn't use their hands. And that's that's on the players and on the coaching. Um, But if that's the case, then I think you've got to you have to be able to adapt at that point and either provide some safety help over the top um, more often or, or back the corners off and not play press man and, and play off and, and, and bait the, the other offense into throwing shorter, coming up and making some tackles. It's not, it's not as easy as, as a lot of folks think because people play Madden and, and play video games where you just kind of call a, a play. You just go to a different page in the playbook and call a different play to change it up. And, and in real life in football, you've got to install these game plans and you've practiced certain things and made different reads all week. So to just try to throw a curveball at the last minute is uh, it, it can be disastrous. But I think they need to do a better job of preparing an alternate game plan. Right. I, I think of the the last time I felt this bad after a, a Michigan game was the 2018 debacle in Columbus because it was clear Ohio State played their hand, how they were going to attack Don Brown's defense. They made some big plays over the middle on those crossing routes, the mesh routes, and then it just kept happening. And it was, okay, where's the, you know, where's the counter punch? Where's the, what are you going to do to stop that? And guess what? After you do that, the other team's going to change, right? And it's kind of a constant back and forth. I think Don Brown is really good at that for the first two steps right now. And for whatever reason, they, they don't have that second and third level move in their pocket. And, and it's not because it doesn't exist. And it's not because the coaching staff doesn't know how to do it. I, I'm much more likely to believe that it's because they're still teaching and installing the first thing, right? When, when you have to rep, rep the, the basics and the fundamentals and your base package and your different down personnel groupings, when you're having to rep that, then you're not getting into, okay, if they do that, we'll do this. And then if they do this, we'll do that. You can't start prepping that if you're until you've got the, the basic stuff down. So ideally what we want to see going forward is a little bit more adaptive approach from both the offense and the defense it's a good sign because the coaching staff is capable of doing it. But what it tells us if we start to see that is that the players have started to internalize the basics. The first move, they've got that kind of like breathing. Now you can start reading, reacting, and throwing your counter punches. And, and hopefully they can, they can get that 
off the ground a little quicker this year than they did in 2019 because um, the success is there. The opportunities are there. They, they just have to be able to go tap into that and improve. So the, the last thing that I, I kind of wanted to, to tack on to the end of this is that, again, we, we knew 2020 was going to be a crazy year, um, both for Michigan and the whole Big Ten and even nationally. I mean, Clemson was down 17 in the second half yesterday to Boston College and, and came back to win. Penn State lost to Ohio State by 13. Uh, Maryland beat Minnesota. <laughs> Rutgers was close to Maryland after Maryland, or, or excuse me, Rutgers was close to Indiana um, after Indiana you know, beat Penn State. So the, the grouping is a lot closer than we thought. You know, there, there was some false gold there in the first week. And um, it, it seems like the, the teams are a little bit more tightly packed uh, the, the, the COVID and the 21 day quarantine obviously is, is a total wild card. That's still going to jumble things up. So I agree with you that is now is not the time to think everything should get written off. There's still a lot to play for, um, in the coming weeks and, and there are opportunities to improve. Um, but you got to call this one as you know, you got to call a spade a spade. And this one is, uh, this one is, is tough to swallow, but, uh, this team has shown the ability to improve. The program has shown the ability to improve, but it's got to happen quick because the, you know, next week's game and uh, the next three games, really, I mean, cause you got to travel to Rutgers after Wisconsin and Rutgers is obviously not the pushover that they've been in the past. And right now Michigan is not in a place that they can take anyone for granted clearly. So um, don't give up hope. Um, I know you and I will not, not give up hope, but um, we, there are some, some things that we want to see improvement uh, pretty much immediately, uh, or, or it might be time to, to be a little bit more concerned. A couple things stuck out for me yesterday. I think there was some gamesmanship going on prior to the game, right? So you and I know how this works, right? The announcers come in and they talk to both coaching staffs. And they may watch a little bit of tape and, you know, they have some advisors off camera, but really they're kind of spun up by the coaches. And one thing that really stuck out to me listening to the replay was, you know, one of the announcers said, well, everybody knows that the Michigan defense plays a little bit of hands-on in the secondary, right? And I'm like, huh, funny. That isn't my impression. I would say if we're going to talk about everybody, everybody knows that the Michigan defensive line never gets holding calls, right? They never get holding calls against them. So I kind of, I kind of thought that, you know, I was thinking, you know, I wonder if uh, when the Michigan state coaches were talking to the refs, if they, if they had told the refs, Hey, you need to really, really watch Michigan. Cause you know, they do this. Right. And it was just interesting to not see it called equally, you know, on both sides. So, Again, you know, you got to overcome that. I think my biggest concern um, as far as what needs to happen for Michigan to be successful is, you know, this may sound crazy, but I feel okay about the offense, okay? I think the offense is a, you know, they have a recipe, it's a cake, it's being baked, it's going to come together. Um, what I was really disappointed to see was that, um, you know, we keep hearing about Joe's rocket arm, right? And we didn't see 
the big long gainers, right? The way Michigan State did. And I think, you know, on first pass, I thought, oh, you know, I need to rewatch. Well, rewatching the game, it was really that the offensive line couldn't protect him. And I think they needed to make some adjustments. They needed to tighten up, um, you know, the splits a little bit. That's what Michigan State did. So I think that we're going to see the adjustments we need on the offensive side of the ball. My concern is how do we, uh, you know, we have seen Michigan State dial up a pretty effective attack on our secondary. And I, you know, as you said, um, you know, Don Brown has quite a bit of work to do there. And uh, th- that's my concern is that we're going to be going up against teams that are very talented offensively. Honestly, I'm very concerned about what Indiana's going to do next week because they are they have a pretty good um, offensive attack, you know, through the air. And um, you know, again, you know, here's the recipe. Here's how you go after Michigan, right? So it'll be interesting that how Michigan and how Don Brown will dial up a a you know, as you said, it's move and counter move, right? Well, uh, the rest of the Big Ten has seen this move. How is Don Brown going to dial up a counter move and how quickly can he do that? And and for me, that's the biggest question. The biggest disappointment I had in this game was the 27 points by Michigan State. That was That's really the shocker for me and the overall offensive success because, as you said, those real long drives from, you know, 98, 95-yard drives, that's just absurd, okay? That, that shouldn't happen um, – you shouldn't see that twice against a good defense. And, you know, Michigan, you know, uh, counts itself as, as as having a great defense and a great defensive coach. That was really, you know, completely unacceptable. So hopefully uh, they'll be able to dial some things up. And I think that's the biggest question for me heading into the next game. Yeah, I, to, to put it into context, I guess, for, for me, the, there was an absolute defensive – at Wisconsin, where the run fits were bad, the the attitude was bad, everything was bad, and, and the was it four weeks later against Penn State? You know, they 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 really did dominate that Penn State game, minus the the big plays um, to the slot receiver. So the we know that that it will tighten up. We know that they're going to improve. The question is obviously how much. Will it improve and how quickly will it improve? Because with this condensed season, Big Ten only and kind of the tightening uh, of the a little bit more parity across uh, the Big Ten schedule, um, apparently, you know, which is a big surprise to me. They you can't wait. Right. There's there's almost no break in season, break in period in a normal season and definitely none right now. So it's got to change like now. And uh, I'm sure that they're they're working on that uh, as hard as possible, and we will see in uh, in six days. You know, we talked about this before. You don't have the non-conference schedule to pad your wins totals, and you have no bye weeks. So again, I, I think you you made a great point. How quickly can you do it? Because time's a wasting, and the clock is going. And uh, again, you don't have you don't have time. So. Well, I think that's going to do it for this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Clint Derringer. Go Blue. 
Thank you for listening to the UMGoBlue.com podcast. All rights reserved. Search for UMGoBlue.com on iTunes. Go Blue.